Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the first book of the Bible. And so um, I know I've been, I've been making you do this every week here to kind of get that outline drilled into your brain. So I think it's good for you, right? Is that okay? Anybody really belligerent about that? It's, it's okay. Um, so if you need a reminder, in, in the center panel of your bulletin, right underneath the sermon notes, there's that eight-word outline that gives you um, an idea of where the book of Genesis goes. So let's go through it together again. Ready? Creation, fall, flood, nations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. All right. Some of you guys have it memorized. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. <laughs> Okay, so today we are at the story of Abraham. So these are the four key uh, persons connected to the story of what God is doing here in Genesis. We saw the beginning, there is one God, maker of heaven and earth. When he creates, he does it well. And on the days of creation, he said, it is good, it is good, it is very good. That seventh day rest is a part of that creation week as well. Then the bad news of the fall uh, humans choosing to go the path of listening to the deceiver, having direct knowledge of good and evil, cutting God out of the equation. That was the fall. It results in God's judgment. It results in the flood, the wrath of God poured out. And again, even with that wrath, there is a redemption plan that God has. There's, there's one family that's preserved on an ark and there's hope for his creation. There's actually his creation is preserved on that ark. Uh, representatives from every animal that he's, he's made to carry out the good work of creation that God started with at the beginning of the story. And then the nations, we looked at last week, um, is you know, kind of the, asking the question, is the idea of diversity a result of punishment or a result of God's plan? Uh, hopefully, you know, as we're walking through this, you're seeing that that was a part of God's plan and even his command. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And when there's a gang of people saying, let's not fill the earth, let's hang out together here and build a tower and bring glory to ourselves, he goes, uh-uh, you, know, you, you are going to be dispersed, you are going to fill the earth, and all of the array and the beauty of creation is going to testify of the glory of God. Now today we're getting into some of these particular stories. There's a man named Abraham whose story spans about 13 chapters of Genesis. So we're going to read those 13 chapters today. Hope, hope you're, you're settled in. Grab an extra muffin. Seriously, I would encourage you to dig into the life of Abraham because chapters 12 through 25 of Genesis really uh, lay a foundation, a framework for a lot of the rest of this book. And, and the life of Abraham is referenced elsewhere in the Old Testament as God's people, this nation that has begun by Abraham, the father of many nations. Uh, we see that playing out in the life of the nation of Israel. Then in the, in the New Testament, you'll also hear a lot about Abraham and some of the verses that we're going to focus in on today are, are quoted in the New Testament as well. But we're going to just drop a couple plumb lines down into the life of Abraham and see some characteristics of this man who was a man of faith. You know, I'm, I'm hesitant to use that phrase, heroes of the faith, because anytime when you take a closer look at some of these characters in the Bible that we would consider heroes of the faith, you see some flaws and warts and imperfections. You see the human side as well. And yet clearly, Abraham is a man that God used for his purposes. So what are some things about Abraham's life that we can learn, some things that would show us more about God's story and things that we can apply to our own lives? So let's pick up the beginning of Abraham's story here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. Read together. 
So it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the first time that God speaks this covenant promise and commitment to Abraham. It's repeated many times in these 13 chapters, Genesis 12 through through 25. But this is the first statement of that promise known as the Abrahamic covenant. And so here's Abraham. Now, if if you read a little further, you find out how old is Abraham at this time. Anybody know off the top of your head? 70, it says 75 years old. He's 75 years old. God's appearing to him. He's, he's given him some promises. Um, it's a bit unbelievable. Um, unbelievable in the sense of hard to believe, right? He's 75 years old, has no children, and here's God telling him, I'm going to make a nation out of you and your family, your descendants. Uh, so uh, part, of that, part of that promise that God is bringing requires some action on Abraham's part. There's some going and some leaving that's required. There's a from, uh, at the beginning here of chapter 12, you're to go from your country, your kindred, your father's house. Basically, everything you've known, everything connected to your identity, the place where you have status, the place where you belong, where you're known, where you have significance, you're to leave all that behind. How did he get to where he was? Well, if you go back to the end of chapter 11, you find out a little bit more about Abraham's family background. And right at the end there, we hear about Abraham's dad, or his name is Abram at this point. So forgive me for skipping ahead. He gets a name change from God in a few chapters, but at this point, his name is still Abram. It's going to be changed to Abraham by God. But here, Abram, his dad, Terah, it says in, at the end of chapter 11 that Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, that's Abram's wife. So he took this whole gang of family members and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And so there was some, something prompting Abram's dad to go on a similar journey to what God commands Abram in chapter 12. Leave everything you've known. Leave the home that was familiar to you and travel and journey and go to a new place. But along the way, at some point, Terah settled and he stopped along that journey and that's where presumably Abram was raised. He's halfway between where they started and to where God had led them and called them to the land of Canaan. And so now God comes into that next generation and he speaks directly. We've got his explicit instructions and words to Abram here in chapter 12. Continue the journey that your dad started on. You are going to the land of Canaan, the land of promise, the land where I'm leading you. But it's going to require a leaving and a departing. What about you? Have you been there? Have you been at a place where God called you to give something up in order to step out on that adventurous life of faith? Maybe it was your dream or your career or your status or what was comfortable to you or familiar. And if you haven't been there, 
get ready. This is a common way that God works, is he calls us to leave our comfort zone and get to that place of needing to trust and rely on him. And whenever you do that, there's always a go. There's always a leaving from. Jesus, in fact, his last words to his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel, go into all the world. There's a command that Jesus carries on that really echoes what God spoke to Abram. And it's all part of his redemption plan. It's a good reminder that God's plans, his purposes, his story supersede my dreams, my plans, my familiarity, my comfort, my status. But until we're confronted with that reality, it's easy to get busy building the kingdom of me, right? My dreams, my ideas, my goals. In fact, our our culture encourages that. This idea of self-actualization. You know, be, be all that you can be. Dream big dreams. Make something of your life. And there's times when God will come, key, key moments in life where he'll come and look for obedient, faithful servants and followers that are willing to embark on an adventure of faith. I don't know if you noticed the second part. It was not just a from, but there was a to. And, and when God's calling me, I would like real clarity, real specificity on the to part before I leave the from part. But did Abram get that? Did Abram have real clarity as to where God was specifically leading him? Take a look at that verse again. So, you know, if I were Abram, a guy was saying, okay, I want you to leave everything you've ever known. My next question would be, okay, I'm with you to this point. Where am I going? Here's what God tells Abram. Go to the land that I will show you. Well, God, before I leave the, before I do the leaving from part, I'm going to have to have a little more than that. What's the two part? You will show me? Um, can you show me now in order for me to be able to make a wise decision of if I'm going to obey you or not? Because right now I know where I am. I'm with my kindred. I'm with the people who know me, my family members. I'm in my own country. I understand the culture, the customs, the language of this group of people right here. I'm in my father's house among my people. They've got my back. Where are you calling me to go, God? Do you have my best interests in mind? And yet that's not the way it works on this life of faith. Again, it's really a decision between am I going the path of comfort and familiarity and security or do I embark on this adventure of faith That involves taking a risk of trusting him even if I don't know where that next step is. Where are we going, God? He says, I'll show you the land. Just follow me. Well, what's keeping you from stepping out as God leads? Maybe Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. Maybe it's the comfort with what is known. Because for Terah in chapter 11, there was something that caused him to settle at Haran. And let me just challenge and encourage you. Don't begin a journey with God only to settle for something less. Stay the course. Press on. Know the God who's called you and is equipping you and will reveal his purposes and plans in his time and in his way. Well, the good news is that Abram as he, as he takes all this in and he's, he's having this direct encounter with God, you know, he's also probably listening to the promises that come right after the command where God says, I'm going to bless you. 
And hopefully that's what gives him the strength to carry on in the face of fear and unknown and, and the, the faith that's required to trust and to follow. Because in verse 4, here's what Abram does. It says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You know, God still calls people at age 75 today. Good news for uh, two or three of you. Okay, you know, our culture says, yeah, at 65, you're pretty much done. You know, 67 now. We got two more useful years just because your social security won't get you through till your life expectancy, right? Yeah, 67, we're pretty much done with you as a, as a society and culture. The good news is that's not how God looks at you. And the best years of Abram's life began at 75 and following. And everything else was a throwaway. Who was Abram Abram before age 75? He was a nobody, just getting ready to really do something big with his life. And we've kind of got the opposite idea today, right? You know, just, man, you're in the prime of your life. Oh, now you're 75? Yeah, I don't know if there's much. uh, It's kind of watching the clock now. How much longer are you planning to be around? And here's God appearing to Abraham saying, I've got some purposes and plans for you. The best years of your life are yet to come. You finally acquired some wisdom and some faithfulness and some trust. Now I can, you're a heart that I can shape and use and form according to my purposes in my kingdom. And Abraham doesn't say, dude, I'm 75 years old. Isn't there a younger guy around that you can tap? He, he went as the Lord had told him. And he steps out in obedience at age 75. The good news is that it's not only for 75-year-olds. God is also calling 55-year-olds and 35-year-olds and 25-year-olds and even 15-year-olds and everything in between. And he's looking for people who have the same heart as Abram, that when God calls and he says, leave what you've known and go to where I will show you, that you obey and you follow and you just hang on for the wild ride that he's got in store for you. And so Abram was an example of that. He's a picture to us of uh, an example of faith that obediently steps out as God leads. I think it was for Abram, it was by focusing on those I will statements that he was able to overcome his connection to the past and his fears of the unknown in the future. The I will promises of God in those verses that we read. I will show you the land. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Interestingly, God even changes his name. I'll give you a new name. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. I will bless the nations through you. And it was his belief in the God who spoke, his trust in him, that allowed him to step out in obedience. When you look at the promises that are first mentioned here in chapter 12, repeated several times, you're going to see that that these promises involve descendants and land. Those are kind of the broad categories of blessing that God uh, promises to Abram to give to him. Uh, let's take a look at, at one more example of that in chapter 15 as these promises are reiterated, restated. Chapter 15, verse 5. 
So God brought Abram outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars. Count them if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So again, you're seeing that those elements of descendants as plentiful as the stars in the heaven, elsewhere plentiful as the sand on the seashore. So there's a nation that's going to be blessed by God that's going to come from Abram and his descendants. Also, a land, a land of promise, a place of rest uh, where God's people will be able to worship the one true God. And so those are, the, those are kind of the big categories of blessing that God brings to Abram, that God promises to Abram. That's God's side of the equation, the covenant promise. What about that verse in chapter 15 that we just read where it says, and Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a verse that's quoted and repeated several times in God's word. Let's look at one example from uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter four. Let's take a look at that together today. And this whole chapter is really about Abraham. But it relates to us as well, as we'll see at the end of chapter 4. Let's take a look at uh, the end of chapter 4, Romans 4.18. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was, quote, counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Context that whole chapter, it's talking about, you know, was it because Abraham was such a righteous person that God made these promises to him and blessed him? Was it because of his deeds? And Roman, the answer in Romans 4 is absolutely not. It was because of the awesomeness of God, the power of the God that we serve. He's the hero of the story here in Genesis 12 and in Romans 4 and in Aurora, Colorado today. He's the hero of the story. It's the work of Jesus on the cross that begins and initiates this adventure life of faith that says, God, wherever you lead, I'm going to go. I believe in your promises. It it clashes with common sense that a 75-year-old dude is going to start having kids now and father a nation that's going to be faithful to you 
and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, but I believe in you. So I'll leave what I've known, I'll set out on this adventure. And Romans 4 makes it clear that's not just a story for way back then, that's a story for us today as well. As you look to Jesus, the one who redeems you, cleanses you, makes it possible for you to grab a hold of these promises of God, have your sins forgiven, and set out on an adventure where you leave what you've known and you trust in the God who's calling you. When he says go, you say, all right, I'm gonna go as you have told me. And when you do that, the Lord will look at that and, see, and say, I'll count that to you as righteousness. You believe in me, you're trusting in me, you're following after me, you're receiving the gift that's made possible through the shed blood of my son. That's a heart I can use. So faith means obediently stepping out as God leads. How does that apply to you today? At the end, we're gonna pray that God will give us those open hearts, but I want you to be thinking about that. Maybe there's even some notes to yourself that you need to jot down, some specific things where God's calling you to leave this and go to that. Maybe it's crazy. Maybe you're going, my age doesn't align with this call that I'm sensing. My status in life, my position, it's gonna require a huge sacrifice to obey this call. If that's the case, then I'm excited to be here about this story because God's got some good plans and purposes in your life and he's looking for hearts that are surrendered, faithful, willing to hear and obey. Another example of the life of faith that we see in Abraham is in the story in chapter 13. So remember, uh, who, who went with him in chapter 12? Lot, his nephew Lot is also part of the, of the caravan that's traveling out. Chapter 13, I'll just set the context. I encourage you to dig in and read this whole story yourself. But what's happened is, you know, you've got nomadic peoples that are traveling with their herds and their people from place to place. Well, there's too big of a, of a group. Really, you've got kind of two, two nomadic families traveling together. And because of the blessings of God, there's a lot of livestock and a lot of humans, a lot of mouths to feed. And the land cannot support this whole gang traveling together. So they come to a point where Abram has a conversation with his nephew Lot. We need to part ways. You know, in fact, there's been some squabbling and fighting between the herdsmen of Abram's clan and, and Lot's clan. Not enough grass to go around for all this livestock. So Abram says to Lot, you know, let's, let, let's peacefully part ways. It's not, we're not going to have a war break out. Uh, let's not have strife between our families. And it's, you get a glimpse into Abram's heart at this point in the story because he, he essentially says to Lot, you get first choice. Lot, you look over all the land and pick out where you would like to go. And so he, he demonstrates this other-focused heart in his following after the Lord, this surrender to God, trusting for God to provide for his needs in offering Lot the first choice. Now, Lot, you know, for better or for worse, his perspective is a little different than Abram's. And so we get a, we get a glimpse into Lot's uh, decision-making process in chapter 13, verses 10 through 13. Basically, he looks over the whole land. He sees the Jordan River Valley, which is uh, lush. He says it reminds him of Egypt. It's so awesome. 
And he goes, I'll take that. That's the better land. That's the direction that I'm going to go with my herds, my people. I'll take the best for myself. Thank you, Abram. Appreciate you putting me first. I also would like to put me first. Do you know somebody like that? Don't point to them if they're in the room. Okay. (laughs) Unless you're raising your own hand. Like, yeah, I'm kind of like Lot. That's okay. Uh, But let's read now a few verses here. What happens to Abram after, you know, I'm sure it's kind of that crestfallen feeling of, oh, I thought you would follow my example. And when I was, I spoke first, like hoping that if I go, oh, no, no, you take whatever you'd like. I was hoping you go, oh, well, thank you. Let me be gracious as well. You go ahead and take what you like, and then I could actually get what I wanted. Didn't work out that way. Lot's like, yeah, I'll take the good stuff and leave this other part for you. So here's what happens next, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up, your, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Really, ultimately, although Lot chose for himself what he thought was better, Abram, in the end, he gets the provision of God in his life. He doesn't get the provision of what I think is best for me, what I acquisitively pursue, what I greedily take for myself, disregarding people around me, you know, what I've done, uh, my due diligence on evaluating this property, gotten some appraisals, gotten some assessments of this, and then I make a wise decision in my eyes. That, That wasn't how Abram worked at all. He left his provision in God's hands. He said, even if the people around me are doing what's best for them, I'm going to do what would be considered a foolish business transaction and trust the God who provides. That's a a man of faith. He's thankfully receiving what God provides. Even when on first appearance, it doesn't look like it's logically the best, business-wise the best, most prudent, and when you, when you look at the rest of the story, you're going to see that Lot really got uh, the, the, the short end of the stick. You know, at first he, in chapter 13, he settles near Sodom, but there's some little clues tucked into chapter 13 that should cause some red flags for you. Um, one, verse thir- chapter 13, verse 13, a couple of unlucky, uh, an unlucky chapter and verse. Here it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. That's the city that Lot moves to live near. That's where he pitches his tents. Family, herds, flocks, let's go live near this city that opposes the Lord and where there's rampant sin. And by chapter 14, the very next chapter, Lot is living in that city. Not just nearby that city, but that's the city that he has relocated to. We, you, know, you know the end of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19 because the sin has, has reached such an extreme 
that God has to bring judgment upon that city. That's where Lot is still living. His, his own family is intimately involved in the sin and the degradation and the judgment that comes upon that city. That comes up in chapter 19. The, the moral of this story is that what God provides is always superior to what you would have chosen for yourself. It's rare to have this trait called contentment. You know, it's a rare, in fact, a great book I would recommend to you, it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, written in the 1600s by a Puritan minister named Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's rare. It's rare to find a Christian who has contentment. This aspect of, of, of a secret to faith that Abraham had unlocked, it's, it's almost unique. It's not something you see. Most of us are more like Lot. We trust our own decisions, our own values and priorities, what we would choose for ourselves. And it requires faith to, with an open hand, hold it up to God and say, God, you know, even if the people around me take for themselves the best and I'm left with the leftovers, I'm going to trust in you to provide. I'm going to trust that you know what's best Maybe, it, maybe it's a resolve of saying, God, you know, maybe living with less will, tr- will train me each day to trust in you to provide. Maybe that's what gets you to make that decision. Maybe it's a warning and a caution from a story like Lot, where ultimately you don't know what tomorrow holds or what's down the road. And so what seems good in your eye may actually end up hurting you and your family. And whatever the motivation Get to that place, like Abram did, of having a faith that means that you thankfully receive what God provides. And you don't want any more, and you don't look with, uh, with a jealous eye to what somebody else has, wish you could have that for yourself. But, but learn that rare jewel of Christian contentment that says, I trust the God who provides. He's good. He's always good. He knows what I need. And so I can trust in him to give me this day my daily bread, the God who knows every sparrow that falls, that clothes the lilies of the field, he knows what I need. So if he's worrying about it, why would I need to worry about it? Trust in him to provide. And there is contentment that comes down that path. There's thankfulness. You may even get to that place where God says, guess what, I'm going to exceed your expectations. Look to the north and the south, and the east, and the west, I'm going to bless you abundantly because you look to me for your provision instead of your own decision-making process. Well, unfortunately, that's not the end of the Abraham story. You know, this man of faith who we've seen leaving what was familiar and known, trusting in God to embark on a mission to a place where he didn't know where God was going to lead him, looking for God to provide his resources, there's still some flaws and imperfections in Abraham, some, some character development issues that God is still working on. So let's take a look at one last story from Abraham today. Again, you got 13 chapters you can dig into uh, more intensely this week in your private personal time with God or with your family or in your life group. I encourage you to do that. There's 
all kinds of nuggets of, of, uh, of truth here in this, in this story of Abraham. But one more story that I want to look at when it comes to Abraham's faith. It was a lesson that Abraham had to learn about God's ways and God's timing. You know, because in our lives, it's not just a matter of clarifying the call of God. Maybe you've gotten some clarity on that. You know, maybe you did, when he said go, you set out. And you set your dreams aside and you began this adventurous life of faith. Maybe you've been trusting in him to provide for your needs. Yet there's still the temptation to, at some point along the journey, do things in my way or in my timing. So for Abraham and Sarah, fast forward 11 years. He was 75 years old when God first appeared to him in Genesis 12. And he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Your descendants are going to be like dust, like sand, like stars. Too, too many to count. 11 years later, he's having a conversation with his wife. And she's going, Abraham, you are 86 years old. Uh, you know, I believe God. I mean, the alternative is to, at this point, really, really have a crisis of faith. And to say, you know, maybe that wasn't God speaking to us 11 years ago. Or maybe God needs a little help from us. Because obviously, you know, he made some promises, but he's not following through. He's slow in keeping his promises. And so they have a conversation in chapter 16 where Sarah proposes a creative solution where, you know, it's still fulfilling what God had promised, kind of. Uh, maybe not technically in God's way, but I think we can make this work. I think we can, we've got an angle, a plan, a way that would fit within our timing to accomplish the purposes of God. And so she says, Abraham, you know, God promised to make us a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Frankly, Abraham, I am no longer, I'm past the child-producing years. Um, but, I have this Egyptian servant named Hagar, technically of our household. So we could creatively produce some offspring in this method. And Abraham agrees to go along with this plan. And so there's a, a baby boy named Isaac. I, I'm sorry, Ishmael. Yeah, Isaac's still to come. <clears throat> Ishmael is the, is the offspring produced by Abraham and the Egyptian maidservant, Hagar. And so in chapter 17, now God has a conversation with Abraham about this whole situation. Well, you know, end of chapter 16, after the plan is carried out, now Sarah starts having second thoughts. In fact, she's got bitterness, she's got uh, resentment toward Hagar, begins to mistreat her. Abram, Abram ends up sending uh, Hagar and, and her son Ishmael away because of this tension that now exists in the family. And so they've created a mess in their own home by trying to do things in their way and in their timing, even though their, their ultimate goal was to fulfill the plans of God, to obey him. Now there's this mess that's creative and created. And so God now appears to Abraham in chapter 17, he reaffirms the covenant promises that he laid out. He, he retraces 
the conversation that they had in chapter 12 and 15 and, and elsewhere up to this point. He even restates it specifically for Sarah. And so it's not just a covenant between God and Abraham, but it's a, it's a God and Abraham and Sarah covenant. Let's read some of that here in verse 15, chapter 17, verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. She gets a name change as well. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. And she shall become nations, kings of peoples, shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Do you know what the, word, the name Isaac is in, in Hebrew? Laughter. It's the, ver, it's the verb for to laugh. Uh, you know, Abraham's laughing here a little bit later. Sarah is laughing. I mean, it, it is kind of funny, right? You know, I don't think it was a scornful, disrespectful laugh. It was like he couldn't help it. It is a ridiculous, you know, when you talk about God's ways and God's timing, this is really ludicrous. It's laughable. And so they, 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 he's laughing and, now, and God says, Oh, then, then Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, we've got a son, kind of. How about, how about him? God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. And will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. My way, my timing. You know, for you, you think, it, you think that the passing of 11 years or at this point, 25 years is just way too long. Time to make something happen. Time to find an angle. Time to do it your way. I mean, we're like little kids still, aren't we? That, that's how little kids are when it comes to, no, don't open the Christmas presents. Christmas is only four days away. Don't, don't tear off the corner of the paper and take a peek in there. It's only four days. That's nothing. For a kid, it's, it's not nothing. For a kid, that four days is, a, is a, an immense period of time. You are an unreasonable parent to force them to wait and wait. They've already waited how many days since Black Friday? And you're saying four more days? Your timing is unreasonable. That's exactly how we are with the eternal creator of the universe. We're like little kids saying 11 years is just out of the question, 25 years is too long. Time to take matters into my own hands. Time to do this my way, in my timing. And Abraham, 
you know, the, the father of the nation of Israel. He needed to learn this lesson from God. Now, let me remind you again, I've already had one-on-one face-to-face conversations with you about my plans and my promises. It's clear to you that you were to leave from there and go to the land that I promised to you. I've reiterated time and again, you are going to be blessed with descendants and land. So the promises are clear. Apparently, you're not happy yet with my ways and my timing. Relax, Abraham. The time has come. Next year is the year. And there is joy, there's laughter in that home that comes in a little boy named Isaac that we're going to hear more about next Sunday. Today, um, I don't know where in the story you are, if it's, if it's at the point of leaving where you've been to go to where God leads you. Maybe you're embarking on this journey and there's the uncertainty of exactly where is God directing your steps? What's the next specific plan for you? Maybe you're at that place of just deciding between do I thankfully receive what God provides or am I still making decisions for what I would like to get? Or maybe this final part of the story in the life of Abraham where you're saying, God, it's your ways, it's your timing. I trust in you. Wherever you're at, I think we can all go to him in prayer together. So let's stand in his presence. And I I ask you to make it personal today. Whatever aspect of that story that relates to your life, that you would commit that to him in prayer.